Hi, this is Future Jody. I decided to jump in here right away and just state, because we don't at the beginning, that we are obviously recording in different homes right now. So the audio quality is pretty low, especially on Caitlin's end of it. There's also issues with internet connectivity, so sometimes she gets a bit robotic, and I just want to apologize in advance, but of course, social distancing, we're not going to record in the same room during the duration of this pandemic. We also know that people are short on funds with everything that's happening, but one way to prevent these bad recordings during the pandemic is if we had better equipment, if you wouldn't mind contributing to our Patreon at patreon.com slash imperialnews. I also want to mention, because I forgot to in the show, is that I am currently with a group of local activists moderating a care-mongering Facebook group, care-mongering. You can search for care-mongering London and you should be able to find it. It's a good resource for anyone who needs to find things to do, but also people in need who require assistance. So if you're feeling up to helping other people, but even if you feel like you need help during the situation, it's a great resource. And I encourage everyone to sign up. And for people who aren't in London specifically, I know other caremongering pages have popped up all over the country. So maybe search online and you'll find one for your city. And if not, maybe create one yourself. The last thing I want to say is that we spend the first roughly 23 minutes of this show talking about the pandemic and our own personal sort of stories and whatnot. So if that's not your thing and you want to skip right ahead to the Imperial Roundup, again, just fast forward about 23 minutes, although I encourage you to stick around. We're not uh, completely boring. So uh, if you want to hear what we have to say, you can stick around for that. Or if you're impatient and just want to hear us talk about what Ezra Levant is saying, that's at the 23 minute mark. Thanks for listening and wash your hands, folks. Fake, fake, fakety fake. Hi, I'm Jody. I'm Caitlin. And welcome to Imperial News, where I spend my whole week listening to the far-right podcast Rebel News, and then talk about how completely normal and fine everything is with my friend Caitlin. How are you, Caitlin? <laughs> the world is burning down and crashing around me. Yeah, it's uh, certainly been special. I think the last time we recorded, I wasn't expecting us all to be quarantined. <laughs> Oh, absolutely not. It's weird how things have escalated and developed. I have a lack of time right now. Like, I don't really understand what day of the week it is, what time is. And it really puts into perspective that time is a social construction. For sure. I mean, it's weird because I actually feel like now with Rachel, my wife, has been on vacation this week. And so I've had a lot more time to just relax and spend with the kids rather than worrying about other things. It's like, it, for me, it's almost been like a nice, I just get to phase everything out and spend time with my family and not have to worry about deadlines <laughs> or anything. So, yeah. But it's like weird because it's coming at the, the cost of like not going out in the world and talking to people. <laughs> well, I mean, you have people around you, like you have your kids, you have your wife that you can, you know, socialize with. I feel bad for like elderly people and people who live on their own right now who are like, even more isolated than they are on the day-to-day -day basis. I mean, I, it was funny. I was joking with my parents because they're 60 years old now. 
the, even them, like it's hard to convey to them the seriousness of this and how they're in the age bracket where if they get this, it'll affect them more dramatically. Yeah. And for my mom, it was funny because I still have two grandparents that are both uh, nearing 100 and she's more worried about them, right? So, so for her, she almost feels like I'm still this young person, you know, not realizing that her running about doing stuff and coming into contact with people could put her in jeopardy given uh, her age. And it's like, mom, stay home. What are you doing? (laughs) No, even my own parents, like, I mean, they're not nearly as old as yours, but like my mom wanted to go to South Carolina to see my grandmother because that's where she's staying, although she's on her way home right now. And her and my father got into this gigantic fight, like didn't talk for days. And my dad was calling me saying, she's crazy. I can't deal with her. She's she's out of her mind. Because she was determined to go to the States because she wanted to go. Who cares? We just won't touch sick people, she said. Things like that. Like, do- doesn't comprehend how serious it is. Yeah. It was weird, too. Like, even even going to the grocery store, because I went to the grocery store once. And you can kind of tell people are on edge, too. It's a weird time going out into public. And I imagine that if I sneezed, everyone would just stare at me. <laughs> I had a really bad cough these last couple of days. Um, the reason I have a cough is because I have basically just issues with my respiratory system, specifically around my nose and my ear. And I've been coughing up just like phlegm. And it's definitely not part of the coronavirus. And I definitely have been getting looks. Like people around me every time I cough are kind of on edge. You can feel it. I've been even paranoid in my own home because my son developed a cough. Although we do know that the whatever the COVID-19 symptoms are, it's it's a dry cough rather than a wet one. And so we're like lucky that that my son definitely has a wet cough. But then it's like now I'm trapped in a house with him. (laughs) So for our view, our, our listeners... What have you been doing to to keep sane? Well, I'm still required to do schoolwork. So I've been doing a lot with my TA ship, like more than I would do in a week. So that's kind of kept me preoccupied. Just to keep busy? Yeah. Like, I mean, now that we're moving things online because classes haven't been canceled at the university, they've just been virtual. I've had several meetings and I've had several like brainstorming sessions of how to like move these classes online and also be within um, the appropriate amount of hours I'm supposed to work. So it's been a little extra work than I normally do with my TA ship on a weekly basis this week, just to start planning things, um, moving things around, answering students' questions, because of course they have a lot because they're confused as well. I mean, we're all kind of confused. I still am required to like do my schools, schoolwork and my studies, um, which kind of sucks because there isn't much guidance about how I'm supposed to proceed with my studies right now. So it does kind of feel like I'm in a limbo like, I don't really know what to do with my life. Well, when were you supposed to do your comprehensive exam? Oh my gosh, that's a nightmare. <laughs> so I'm supposed to have a comprehensive exam in June, which is basically a three-day take-home exam where they make you just write 12, three 12-page essays and, I don't know, basically torture you for three days. <laughs> and it's based on a list of readings, and I can't get half of these readings because the libraries are closed. Yeah, well, that's what I I wonder. Like, are they going to delay you taking it till... One option is to postpone it. Another option is to give me an alternative format for the exam. But they don't know because no one raised that question to them. And I did yesterday when I found out Weldon 
Weldon Library, which is at Western University, was closing down. I went in and tried to like scramble to get as many books as I possibly could bring home, but it's not nearly as many as I need. Um, so I'm going to just try to do some reading, but I haven't even cracked open a book. Honestly, like I just feel really weird. Like I don't feel like I've been very productive other than with my TA because I feel obligated to help my students. But in terms of my life, like I feel like I'm in this like weird middle space. Like I'm not really living my life right now. Like life is on pause right now. It's really odd. Yeah, I just managed to do like housework and stuff. <laughs> my house is pretty clean. <laughs> Yeah, tomorrow I'm actually going to do like a bit of spring cleaning and like get rid of a ton of stuff that I've been wanting to like put in a donation box. Yeah. I'm also planning or one thing I have been doing just to keep like active is I have been going there's trails just behind my apartment. And I've been going on hour long walks with my dog just to get out and start moving. I've been doing like little yoga videos just to keep me like, I don't know, making me feel not like a sack of potatoes yeah because that's what i've been feeling like these last couple of days yeah we've gone for a few walks we uh did with uh my son this morning we did space yoga (laughs) and the person was doing like uh pokemon poses (laughs) it's like do the bulbasaur that's nice that's clever that's good for them yeah i don't know one thing that i wish was happening i wish some of my friends and hopefully if they're listening they get this message just would like i don't know maybe reach out to one another because we're just kind of sitting alone in our houses and it would just be nice you know like i feel like i'm missing that community right now and i'm sure other people feel that as well yeah i mean that's why i tried uh through twitter i was inviting people every night i've been playing video games and hosting on uh the podcast's discord channel and you can find the link to the discord on our twitter account which was at imperial news with a z and inviting people to come play video games if that's your thing as a way of having some sense of community for anyone who's uh, alone at home or whatever yeah that's a great idea and i am glad with uh at least in town the saint patrick day activities were not big like a lot of people were worried like i've seen other reports in the states as well when they've had like big events at various universities the kids are just like well i don't care i'm not going to be sick but at least in london they decided not to have the big street festival that they normally have so no they canceled a lot of the restaurants were closed right in the parties that they usually have but i have seen like in other areas like niagara and queens there was a lot of or kingston sorry where queens university is there was like a lot of students going out in big crowds and they had like interviews of the students being like i'm like i'm fine i'll just take i'll just take some sick some cold medication and i'll be okay crazy it is crazy we were talking before we started recording which is why we actually decided to start recording so we can just chit chat for the show because why not (laughs) but like it's weird because it's hard to convey to people the seriousness of this thing because it's kind of hidden as this disease, like you don't see it necessarily. And it's starting off as small and it's going to grow. And so it's hard to convey the seriousness. But if all the reports are accurate, like it's very serious, you know, and I don't I don't know how to appropriately message that if I am the, the government to try to get people to self distance and self-isolate. I think the thing is, because we haven't been hit hard, people aren't taking it as seriously because it's like, oh, well, it's only in Italy that it's happening. But I don't think people understand that it's like, it's it's coming. It's making its ways. Well, that's the thing. It started like this in Italy too. 
before it got yeah. worse, <laughs> which is why it's like you should definitely prepare for this, you know. And then there's people coming in who just like were traveling too, and you're going to have all those issues. I don't think people, yeah, I just don't think people see it as a threat yet because it hasn't hit us yet, but it will. And that's the thing is like while they're sort of being like nonchalant about it, this thing is spreading. I mean, there was also like the data that came out of Korea uh, because South Korea was very good at dealing with theirs. And unlike Italy, they scanned just everyone. Like they had these drive throughs where people would go through and get their temperatures checked and get a, a test. And what they found was that even though 20 to 30 year olds weren't showing any symptoms or at least not severe symptoms, almost all of them were like carrying it. <laughs> So it's like, even though you don't feel sick, you can still carry this disease. And the reason why you want to self-isolate is because it is definitely going to affect definitely the older population. And we don't want to stress our healthcare system out to the point where doctors are having to make decisions about whether who gets a respira respirator or not. Of course. A big thing, though, too, is like people having comparing it to other other diseases like H1N1, which we actually know is a flu, or it's like a form of the flu, which this is completely not, is you had vaccines for that already developed. So people could go in and get vaccinated to help prevent prevent the spread of it. We don't have a vaccine yet for this. And that's why it's spreading so rapidly. And that's why it's not going to stop. It's just going to keep, keep spreading. Like, I don't think people understand, like, it's like, there's not really like an endpoint right now until we can develop a vaccine, develop an antiviral medication that can help treat the, treat this virus. Even when you get the flu. So say I get the flu this year, you can still contract the flu next year. And similarly with this virus, if you get it this season, you can contract it next season. Like you might confer some sort of increased antibodies and have some sense of immunity, uh, I think, I think they're suggesting it might be up to six months after you get the virus. But after that six-month period, you can be reinfected. In Japan, they had someone who got reinfected with it. Which means that like, it could, if they don't develop some type of vaccine, because some of the projections are saying that it could take up to a year for them to get a vaccine, we could be going through this again next year if we're not careful. Could you imagine that's like where, that's where our life is headed. The world society is just an annual quarantine and it will become like a holiday. And like, it will, I don't know, maybe that's what pushes us into a more of a socialist democratic system where we have really good healthcare systems because we know this is something that's going to come every year. In a sense though, we should have already been aware of that. I mean, it, it, I was having this conversation with my wife because it's like we haven't really had something like this since 1918, which was the uh, flu during World War One, the Spanish flu. Yeah. But if you look at like the time before that, we had these kind of diseases all the time, like smallpox, just all these contagious diseases that were taking over the globe. So it's like this has been like a new period of time where we've been relatively safe from diseases because we have vaccines and other kinds of hygienic practices that have prevented this. But it doesn't take much for a virus to evolve and come out that's going to exploit some of our weaknesses in our system, you know? No, I'm, I'm just kind of hoping that maybe this would push governments to reconsider some of the decisions that they've been making. Like we've already seen that the Ford government in Ontario has completely gone back on some of the cuts as well as uh, some of the punitive policies that they've created for workers, such as the sick leave, right? Yep. They're rolling back those choices they made 
last year and earlier on in this year because they're actually realizing that a society just can't run with the way you're operating your government. I think as well, if ever there was a case to be made for socialism, like this should be it. It's even amazing to me with what's going on with the Democratic primaries and people faced with the option between Biden and Bernie. Like you have the case for Bernie's style socialism just staring you in the face (laughs) right now while you're voting. And it's just amazing to me how people are oblivious to that fact. You know what, people like they'll come up with their own justifications, but I don't, I, it's even, but even like certain things, like even watching small businesses give out a lot of free products, give out, um, like businesses that have services, giving out free online services. Um, like I've been seeing like a lot of fitness, fitness locations giving out like free workout tutorials. I've been seeing musicians doing like free concerts online. Uh, free new albums that they're dropping to entertain people online that you can access. And to me, I'm like, isn't this the world you kind of want to live in? But it's only temporary. That's what sucks about it, because I want to live in a world where I can go to the gym for free and not have to worry about paying gym membership and, you know, look my best and get, you know, top quality personal trainer fitness workout. I mean, it'd be nice if I had the social atmosphere of going to a concert, but unfortunately can't in these situations. I want to be able to have like today I did like free grocery delivery. Usually that's so expensive, but Loblaws had it like a special deal because of what's happening. And it was kind of nice because I was like, I want to take my dog for a walk. I want to cook this specific meal tonight, but I don't want to go and wait in that crazy grocery lineup. So I had someone come and give me fruit, like food. And it was what I'd pay if I went to the grocery store anyway. So I went and accessed that. It was awesome. I've been looking up like a lot of like free, free like lessons too. Like I've been trying to practice my Italian and there's just like a lot more content that's being posted to entertain and educate people. There's free courses that are being offered, like university courses that people can take to pass the time. And that's just, I don't know, like that's what should be happening in our world. They had live streams for zoos and stuff like that as well. Yeah, museums as well. If you wanted to see what the museum looked like, they were having, you could do a virtual tour of the museum that they just like put together last minute and posted up on their, their site. There's there's just a lot that's being offered to entertain people and like actually really bring a community together. And I think that's just really wonderful that people are doing that. And I wish that that would be the permanent world that I could live in. There's two points that I want to make of this. The first is Bell and Rogers, I think, removing their caps on like certain like download limits for your internet plans. You have the power to just do that at any time. Like, why does it have to be during this thing? Why not just have one plan that everyone buys in and has unlimited downloads? It really makes clear that they're just exploiting us. Well, my other thought was a lot of this stuff with all these corporations doing nice things reminds me of this book that I've read. I think I've brought it up on the show before. The book is called Strangers in Their Own Land by Arlie Russell Hochschild. In the book, she's interviewing this gentleman from Louisiana whose backyard basically just opened up to a giant oil sinkhole. I guess the oil company had bought a salt mine and had pumped like bitumen and oil shit in the sink the the salt mine and then the mine collapsed and basically turned this guy's backyard into a giant oil pit. And then the question is like, why is this guy still voting for Republicans and not mad at the company. And what it gets to is like, 
even though the company did the shitty thing, his anger is at government and government's failures, which is why he votes for the party that it like talks about cutting government. And he likes the company because even though the company is doing the shitty thing, their name is on the baseball diamond, the park in town. Their name is on like this charity event. They're, so it's like, because we have this style of capitalism, these corporations get to look like the positive face. Meanwhile, the government who's supposed to clean the mess up, they look terrible and therefore people lose faith in the government, even though really it's well, kind of like both of their fault. <laughs> but it's this weird sort of like relationship that because they have all these sort of like charities and stuff like this, they look like the good guys. In this situation, yeah, I can see how people can definitely interpret this situation as these these companies are doing a lot for people. Look how great this company is. I'm going to support them more afterwards. And like, yeah, look how benevolent they are. Yeah, yeah. And then probably afterwards, they're going to get a huge boost in uh, sales and revenue because people will maybe shop at them and not other people who didn't really support this. So I say that mainly to point out that I think your vision of the world that you were stating earlier needs to be reinforced, I think, by us talking about it, by saying this is the world that we want. And don't let that be co-opted by the people who want to put a friendly spin on it and go, oh, look, but these corporations are so nice and friendly. Look what they did. Yeah, but that's what exactly what capitalism does. It's like when we critiqued you know, the tyranny of the boss, right? Like the one that comes in the suit and works their workers to death. All of a sudden you have Steve Jobs appearing and now it's like capitalism, but do it with yoga, right? Like, yeah, exactly. Exploit your workers even more, but you know, let but smile while do it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's exactly what could be happening here as well. And I do, do agree with your analysis there. Another thing I wanted to, that I had thoughts about was, not really pertaining to this, but I was joking around with my TA supervisor because we had a meeting yesterday and we were just, my students were kind of just realizing um, and commenting on how companies are very exploitative. And I guess they've been really noticing during this time, like how, how they are getting a lot of free services and how they're do like that they didn't understand why they couldn't get before. Like to them, they were asking a lot of these questions. And so we started chatting about it in this meeting and one thing I was like saying is I literally think like all these all these internet companies or social media companies like Facebook, like Google, like or search engines too, should really be paying it like basic income. They exploit us every day for like free labor. So I don't know. That's something else I would like to see. That would be really cool. Why don't these companies, given now that we are probably using social media a lot more often and they're data mining that information and selling it to each other and selling it to other companies. Like I'm giving them free labor now, probably more than ever. I think I should be getting my paid sick days from these companies. Yeah. <laughs> or at least have them taxed more and put into social programs. I'd be cool with that. <laughs> yeah, that too. I mean, basic universal basic income is something that I would like. Yeah, I'm in favor of it. I'm cautious about it though, because... I think there's a left-wing version of it and a right-wing version of it. A lot of the right-wing versions I've heard come from people like Milton Freeman and other libertarians that think it would be good to give people universal incomes to take care of automation because they're worried that jobs are going to be lost and people are going to be at home. So we need a universal basic income. But their idea is you get that money through cutting social services. Yeah, I've heard that. And that is, that's terrible. <laughs> 
So I'm cool with having a universal basic income if it doesn't come at the cost of cutting social services. Yeah, I mean, there are certain social services that you wouldn't, they would be redundant with universal basic income. Like you wouldn't need certain like welfare regimes in place anymore because you have universal basic income. Um, You're already getting more income than you would make on those, those programs. So, but I think like access to like healthcare, like having universal healthcare, having universal drug plans, which hopefully we're moving towards. Publicly funded education. Yeah. Education, other public services, they all need to like stay public and they all need to be well-funded, but I'm wanting to move towards basic income. And I honestly think like this may be a good opportunity to push for that too. Yeah. I mean, there's a few opportunities. Another one is bringing awareness to rent issues and having rent strikes. I've seen that pop up. I don't even know why rent hasn't been suspended. Like, this is insane. Like, how are people supposed to pay for things? They've been deferring mortgages, I think. And in other countries, they've been suspending both rent and mortgage. Uh, But how many people we know that majority of Canadians are renting and don't own homes. So that's fucking ridiculous. Yeah. And the people who have mortgage payments are usually people who don't really need it to be suspended anyways. So the other was doing a like a four day work week or something, because I think what's going to happen with this uh, pandemic and this crisis is you're going to realize that a lot of people can do work from home several days of the week that we don't need to be in the office every day. Oh my gosh. Yes, absolutely. COVID. So you ready to finish out the show? Yeah. All right. Then it's time for the Imperial Roundup. Hello, my rebels. Hello, my rebels. I'm a good boy. I'm a weirdo. March 9th. And Ezra... And I'll, I will say, you're going to love this. Doesn't mention the Wet'suwet'en at all the entire week. <laughs> Crazy. We get right away out the gates, coronavirus stuff. Of course. Come on. We knew that was happening. I had a sense it was going to come. I didn't necessarily think it was going to come this soon, but we knew it was coming. Things were building up. He's particularly upset that Iranians are getting to enter Canada. And of course, he mentions how bad Italy and South Korea have it. But again, he doesn't compare, like, he doesn't complain about them coming to Canada. His issue seems primarily to be with Iranians. He just doesn't like Persian people. I think it's more brown people. <laughs> well, you're specifically saying one country, but I guess because they, they have it, they've got hit pretty hard too with it. I mean, but the issue there isn't, say, them coming here and infecting us because the virus is already here, right? It's more like the reason why it's hitting Iran so harshly is partly because of the sanctions that we've put on them, but also because they don't have the resources to facilitate it. Ezra even claims that there's no screening at our airports. But the funny thing is he literally plays a clip of travelers from Iran discussing their screening procedures, both leaving Iran and arriving in Canada. Yeah, there has been in the news, though, like complaints of people saying that they were skipping people in the screening. Not that there wasn't any, just that there was, it was like very lazy how they were going about it. Yeah, I'm not going to say at all that our government's response to this has been perfect or that everything's going as smoothly as I would want it to be. But at the same time, it's like, 
for him to say it's not happening and then show a clip of them saying for these particular people that it is happening is just weird. Yeah, the government is doing stuff about it. They're taking, they're definitely taking more action than other countries are. It's just, there is this like slowness to everything. It's like things that we've all, I think socially as a whole have agreed on. They're finally like announcing two days later. Like that's how it feels. Like they're, they're two days late to the, to what we've all already knew. You have multiple health units reporting that we need social isolation, social distancing, taking precautions, right? And then they're releasing these reports. People are seeing it. People are acting accordingly. But then you have like the prime minister then coming out and saying the same thing two days later. So it it almost feels like we're really slow to respond to these things or we're like behind what's socially already accepted. Yeah, really slow. And there's going to be some moments where I will give the government and health officials officials the benefit of the doubt, which is that uh, imagine trying to navigate an entire country's policy to like deal with this virus. You know, I couldn't do it. <laughs> Not to I, I don't mean this to let them off the hook. I'm just stating like it's it's hard to judge that in the now how good or bad they're doing. It'll be one thing like once this uh, virus has long gone and we can reflect on whether the response was adequate or not, or whether their fuck ups were so bad, it's deserving of like particular ridicule, you know? I'm not really sure. I guess we're going to have to see how things play out, right? Which is kind of unfortunate. Ezra then points out that another journalist called him out and said that those Iranians who were not uh, like, they didn't come from Iran. They uh, were not on a direct flight from Iran. And Ezra just doubles down on his xenophobia instead of addressing this point. But it is a good point. Like the only way to block a specific country works is if we shut down all air travel altogether. But even then, it is already spread into Canada. So blocking air traffic now, like it's not going to prevent people from spreading this thing it's more of like it's going to prevent people from getting home and stuff and i I haven't followed the air closures or not it depends no so they've told like canadians and other countries that they have to leave and come home so for instance my grandmother um she's she's a snowbird she goes away to south carolina throughout the winter months and she had to cut it like three months short her trip because they told her you need to leave you can't stay here she's currently driving back to canada right now as we speak. And then when she gets back in, she's going to have to quarantine herself for 14 days, even though she's completely asymptomatic and then we'll get a test. Even if it comes back negative, they said, no, you're going to have to be quarantined just in case it, it develops throughout those days. She could be asymptomatic for 14 days, but then still have the virus and not get, not show symptoms till that 14th day. Right. Yeah. And they did say like it takes up to like five to 14 days for it to develop. And she could just not have symptoms whatsoever. She is very healthy. Like she's had no health issues throughout her entire life. She's been pretty good. So it's like she could just, you know, not feel it, not know. But she doesn't know. She hasn't crossed the border yet. So we'll see. (laughs) We'll see how everything goes. But I know people that I'm friends with like on social media don't really know too closely. But they've been like cutting their trip short. I had a couple of friends that were supposed to go away and they had to cancel their trip or their their trip got canceled. A lot of things too for me, I was supposed to go to conferences. They're up in the air. I had two conferences, one in May, 
when in April, all of them are postponed indefinitely. So we, I don't even know when they're going to be back on. They might never happen. I know that you can't now travel between borders. So I would assume that you wouldn't be able to get on a plane and travel. Except for I'm guessing if they have people still returning home or whatever. That's the only exception. And they also have an exception if you do work that requires you to cross the border and is deemed essential. So if you're a pilot, for instance, or you work in the military, or if you're a truck driver that's doing shipments internationally, they'll they'll let you cross. It's just people that are just traveling, not doing it for work, work that's not essential either. They have to stay home. Ezra then talks about Trudeau's beard again then remarks that he's still in vacation mode. He then says that Ford is doing a great job, which I actually disagree with to a certain extent. And then he offers a soft criticism of Donald Trump, which surprised me. It was a very soft criticism, though. It was just that uh, he didn't feel that Trump was being completely forthright with the progression of the virus to the Americans. That's the first time I've ever seen him criticize Trump slightly. Maybe Ezra is panicking. Maybe he's like, I don't want to get this. Maybe he's he's one of those people that are buying like the tenfolds of toilet paper at the grocery store and making everyone else suffer. He does seem afraid, but he seems more afraid that it's a Chinese virus, which he ends this segment by going on a racist tirade about how the Chinese are trying to prevent us from calling it a Chinese virus. Oh, I mean, it's not like <laughs> I don't know. It's just like what. <laughs> Uh, His guest for an interview is Mark Moreno, who is the Climate Depot guy who uh, said that leftists are encouraging cannibalism to promote environmentalism. He's on another one of his crazy conspiracy, conspiracy theory pitches, but it's more of a mundane conspiracy that even Alex Jones sort of pitches. And that is that leftists are promoting the coronavirus and cheering it on because it's reducing emissions. And Morano says this is typical of the left and talks about Paul Ehrlich. Do you know who Paul Ehrlich is? Oh, I do not. So he wrote a book in 1968 called The Population Bomb. And the argument was basically that overpopulation is going to be this problem. And in the book and in his future works, he offered some solution to what he called the population problem. And some of them are like not serious suggestions, but here's like a bunch of suggestions. Some are like immoral, some are not. And like he's he's trying to be all sciencey about it, right? And part of the issue is that a lot of conspiracy theories, including people like Alex Jones, have latched on to some of Ehrlich's more outrageous positions and therefore push it as like, this is evidence of like the elite globalists trying to wipe out humanity. <laughs> okay. In part, because it would be something like forced sterilizations or other things that Paul Ehrlich offered up. And the, and the thing is, a, a lot of scientists have disagreed with Paul Ehrlich about his predictions about population. So I'm not, I'm not saying here that Paul Ehrlich is some sort of like the pinnacle of the science on this issue. People have criticized his work through a scientific lens, but all these conspiracy theories that emanate from Ehrlich's work is kind of bullshit in that people have been latching on to these like little little tidbits they get from him and then saying that this, you know, George Soros is now creating a depopulation program or something. Yeah. <laughs> and that's that's pretty much it. That whole day was just a bunch of conspiracies. Just 
a whole bunch of conspiracies. And I don't think the week's going to get any better. <laughs> I kind of had a feeling that this was going to be the tone that they were going to approach this with too. Because we, we've already seen where it's like Ezra hints on the border of conspiracy, conspiracy theories, especially when he went on the Alex Jones Infowars, right? Having listened to a lot of the Infowars show as well, some of the ideas that Ezra has aren't too dissimilar from some of the stuff that Alex Jones has brought up on his show about the coronavirus and where it possibly was created and like all that fun stuff. The only other thing to say about Morano as he ends this show is he does make the dangerous claim that this virus doesn't like warm climates and that when the summer hits, this will all go away and everything will be fine. Because like we said in the beginning half of the show, it's quite possible that this is going to come back a year from now. It's not just going to magically go away. True, yeah. So then that's it. We're on to March 10th. And Ezra is on a riff about globalization and coronavirus. Mm. It, it was a very weird opening monologue for Ezra. It felt more personal. I don't know how to like to phrase it like... I almost want to recommend the audience to go listen to the full thing of this episode. So again, it was on March 10th, just the full beginning half, the interview, you can just ignore the interview part, but it like the whole stuff about globalization, because it like feels personal the way Ezra is talking about it. He starts off with a modicum of a good point, which is that outsourcing all of our manufacturing is not good, especially at a time when you're experiencing a crisis like this. So you might want your local government to have the ability to quickly reproduce, say, respirator or like respirators, as an example. And you might not be able to do that if your manufacturing is all the way in China. But Ezra is wrong in thinking that Trump is going to fix this, which is how he frames it, that somehow Trump's policies are actually going to bring manufacturing back. And I don't think that is the case. And Ezra does say that he likes some things about globalism, like visiting other places, and eating foreign foods. But then he says something super duper racist. I don't want to give up some parts of globalization. I like it. I like the variety of the world. I like traveling to foreign places. I like learning from other people. I like other cultures. I like other food. I like coming home the best, though. I like my own family and my friends and my street and my town the best. I welcome newcomers, but not in such number that I no longer recognize my street and my town and my country. That's not racism. It's not about race. That's just what it means to talk about your home. I don't know. It's this like whole rhetoric that people feel like others are going to come into their country and it's going to destroy the cultural foundation of what Canadian Canadian society, like what, I don't even know what Canadian culture is. Nickelback. Look at this photograph. Nickelback, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm thinking like plaid hockey mooses i don't know like what like what is canadian culture like i don't know what that is even it's interesting because i'm pretty sure ezra is russian or like his family's from russia and they immigrated when he was really young so it's like you you yourself are not really canadian but he's white yeah <laughs> <laughs> it was just super fascinating I, I don't know how else to put it it like really puts into contrast his views against what he considers like the globalism that's like bad and evil and elitist i think the issue though is he's conflating the idea of globalization with people and nationalism like he's asso associating people's nationality 
in these like nationalist tendencies with each other and then calling it globalization. When globalization is really just the movement of capital, labor, growth of technology to allow this as well. It's not really having a sushi restaurant up in your neighborhood. Yeah, like it's really about the relations that are created through the fact that we have capital moving across borders at higher rates than we ever have before. And we have the growth of technological advancements that have allowed us to to move freely across borders and share different products and goods and services, as well as like human labor, where we haven't really had that in the past. I, I was just going to say that like what you've said right now has reminded me of a part of this, which is that he sounds like he's lamenting lamenting a past of nationalism, if that makes sense. That there's, for him, there's something lost to the current globalization scheme. That even though he he likes the kind of international trade that you're describing, he longs for like a time of a kind of like homogenous culture that I don't think ever existed. But it, it's, it reminds me of the same kind of like fascistic nostalgia that you saw in like I hate to bring it up, but like Nazi Germany. Oh yeah, that's what it is. It's it's that's what I'm saying. He's confusing the idea of nationalism with globalization, and when I mean nationalism, I mean like Nazi nationalism, like fascism. Like <laughs> because people tend to confuse that. Like and it, it comes in the everyday as well. Like you'll hear people when they're talking about how like things are becoming globalized, they'll tend to talk about globalization in relation to this idea of like cultural culture mixing. And that's really not what globalization is. It's not the fact that like, I see more people that don't look like myself in classrooms that has nothing to do with, I mean, globalization does contribute to that because it contributes to like international exchanges, the growth of these programs, but that's not globalization in itself. What he's talking about is nationalism and the sentiments that come with it become very, they, they tend to be a little more fascist in their tendencies. It's hard to hide the fascism in what he says there. What he's saying is like not totally off from what people in everyday life say, though. Like he's not, he's not far from what I think a lot of people think about. Like I think even when people go traveling, I think they don't want to see a mixed culture or they don't want to see this like melting pot idea. I think people like to say that we have it to be like this friendly, nice, place where immigrants can come to like I think they we like that concept but I don't think people like to actually see uh, a melting pot happening um in their home or even when they go travel like think if you went to Italy besides the coronavirus right now and you're traveling to Italy and you don't see a bunch of Italians so I think some people that's disappointing and they travel for that purpose of seeing Italian people, or it's like, I talked to my students who went over um, the reading week, which was in early February. And a lot of them went to a lot of places like South America, the Caribbean. And when they come back home, what are they talking about? They're talking about the, this homogeneous culture that belongs to this specific demarcated land territory, which I just think is so silly. Yeah. I mean, you, you hit on a couple interesting points there. One is just like, I don't know how common common that sentiment is. And I hope it is not as popular as you're saying it is. It might be, but I'm just saying I hope that it isn't because that means that fascism is gaining more ground than I want it to. Which it is, but like 
again, we're talking degrees here. I don't know. <laughs> I, I hope it hasn't gained that much ground, I guess. The other part is that I think there is some, I'm looking for the right word here, but some some benefit to maintaining certain cultural things. Like, I don't like the idea of certain cultures dying off, if that makes sense. If it becomes so homogenous that, like, there is no Italian culture or something like that. I mean, this is complicated because it's also, like, what is Italian culture? Like, if we want to use that as a specific example, yeah, it's not what a lot of people really think it is. Italy is just a bunch of different empires that came together over a century ago and decided to call themselves Italian. and if you go to like every city, it's so starkly different from each other. And even the way they speak the language is it's almost non-recognizable for other Italians. They do have standard Italian that they taught kids, but that was during a period of of, like of a nationalist fascist movement. Yeah. That's what nationalism tries to do. They try to or these nationalist and fascist kind of tendencies is they try to like teach a standard language, have the similar ideologies, have a similar look, have a similar philosophy in life. And that, that's what exactly happened in Italy. We can look at Japan. Japan's another exa- really good example. People think you go to Japan and it's like everyone and everything is the same. Like people do the same things. They have the same philosophies. Um, but Japan throughout history has been extremely heterogeneous and has had a lot of variety in their culture and has had many historical changes. And a lot of Japan is actually made up of many different cultures around them, such as Korea, China. They have indigenous culture called uh, the Anu people that they've committed genocide to, which was awful. But but then they still preach for this Japanese identity. And in a way, there isn't really an essential Japanese identity or an essential Italian culture or identity. These things all shift over time and be constructed. We just tend to want to hold on to them because uh, we've had a lot of these, these nationalist movements in the last you know, century. And that's what I, I, I'm, when I'm mentioning my students and I'm mentioning how they have a lot of these tendencies that Ezra is saying, what I'm trying to get at is it's like, they enjoy the fact that you can go to a certain place and have these, built-in stereotypes about these people and get to like learn about them like it's this fascinating new kind of scientific way of looking at people like they're not they're not different but if you actually studied them properly and you look at the culture you'll realize these cultures are really different from each other and they've changed dramatically even within a decade but i i feel like people like to hold on to this idea of like having an identity like this national identity yeah for for me it's not that like i'm finding it difficult to sort of say what i want to say to me it's more like you know if you think of all the indigenous languages in canada that some are dying out like to me that's it's kind of sad that like these some of these languages are going to go extinct basically that we're going to lose something that that used to be here you know but like i also agree with what you're saying which i don't think any of these things should be revered in a certain way that we lose sight of some change that can be beneficial or when it becomes we hold on to the past too much that it starts like becoming this like nostalgia that feeds into fascism if that makes sense yeah to me i just think it's okay to have change it's not really a bad thing 
I mean, even losing certain languages, I get people like want to hold on to them and the meaning and maybe it has like a historical relevance to a certain group of people or maybe family. And I, I understand that. And I get what you mean with the example of the indigenous groups, but I think it's really good to have progress with these things, which I know a lot of postmodern theorists criticize. No, I think it's development or the change just in general, like these things, it's okay for them. Like indigenous knowledge doesn't have to be what it was centuries ago. It can morph into like this future indigenous culture, like Afrofuturism. Like I, I love those ideas where it's just like, we're going to keep the traditions of like our African ancestors, but you know, we can't just like keep on to these like you know, century old practices, they need to change with the times they need to develop. You can't just like be stuck in this stuck in this state where it's like nostalgia for these like old practices or like wanting to preserve languages just for the sake of preserving it because you have a certain sentiment towards it. I think it's okay for it to morph and grow. And like, let's be honest, the language that you're holding on to or the certain cultural practices have probably changed. Like, when, when you studied those things, there was history before those languages even came to be. So those languages in themselves are not like the original languages. No, and there's no, there's no static language either, right? All these things evolve. But it's more of just having, like, there's some benefit of just having diversity, right? So to me, I think, I think I'm coming more from like a biodiversity argument where it's like, do we need this like unique bird in this forest? No, maybe not necessarily. And maybe like if we weren't having a complete species die off, having one bird go isn't that bad. <laughs> you know what I mean? But at the same time, it's like having killing all the languages wouldn't be a good thing, right? Like there's something to keeping some kind of diversity rather than just creating a completely homogenized one world culture, if that makes sense. I think this gets into another layer that maybe would touch on the issue that you're bringing up is we don't want one culture to dominate. That's the problem. That's when it becomes a fascist problem, right? We don't want, like, I don't want languages to disappear because English has become the dominant language. I do want languages to evolve. Even English language itself is not English how it was years ago, right? We're always going to be evolving. We're always going to be changing how we, how we talk and communicate with one another. And I just think like, the fact that we push English onto people is very politically charged. It's very socially and culturally charged of an issue. Super politically charged, I have to say. Yeah. But it's the fact that we haven't learned other languages or we're not respecting the fact that there, there are other languages that are just as important as the English language. That's a huge, huge issue. Like, I'm very disappointed in myself as well as my family that I don't know more languages fluently. Like, I know a bit of Italian, like a fair bit. I can understand quite a few, quite a bit of Italian, but I don't nearly speak it fluently. And I really should have learned. And like, I think that's that's a huge issue is it's the fact that we've this pushing of the English language through the expansion of capitalism that comes from globalization and it, it becomes to dominate, right? Like it's like other languages are deemed as less than, and then you have languages dying off because of that. I think that's the issue that you're raising. I'm trying to say is like, it would be fine if we had multiple, like a pluralistic society of different languages and those languages grew and progressed and developed on their own accord. But it's the fact that we have a capitalist system that has these undertones of fascism to spread it. 
or to spread these tendencies of like culture that's dominant, right? And we have globalization that's spreading capital that leads to the spreading of also these fascist kind of ideas because capitalism and fascism are really tied to each other. I wonder, I mean, like, I haven't looked into this stuff for a while, but it reminds me there might be like a tension between some sort of like global, globalized fascistic kind of thing, as opposed to, I think, the kind of fascism that an Ezra or a Steve Bannon wants, which is what I think is like more localized fascism, where they want a Canada for a Canada and America for America and a Iran for an Iran and none the two shall meet. But then there is this other sort of like globalized fascism that I think we're, we're sort of hitting upon here. Well, I think that's the issue is Ezra is conflating nationalism with globalization. He wants nationalism. That's what he wants. Yeah. He thinks that globalization is going to... It's going to erase Canadian culture. Canadians for themselves, only for themselves, and we create the best within our best. Anyways, that went on. That was a pretty fascinating discussion. We might be going long here, folks. <laughs> People are probably going to be like, what the fuck are they ranting on about, to be honest? Hey, whatever. This is We're on, we're on quarantine time now. This is... <laughs> There's no time limit. Yeah, yeah. But we will move on. In the we're now at the interview segment. <laughs> he has on someone named Sam Goldstein. Goldstein was recently elected with a slate of twenty-one other people to the Ontario, uh, the Law Society of Ontario. The reason they ran together as this slate to get elected to the Law Society of Ontario is they were against a diversity and equity policy that was mandating lawyers to acknowledge and abide by a st- abide by a statement of principles. And Goldstein himself, before we get into like what that whole statement of principles nonsense is, Goldstein seems special because in the interview, he used every buzzword from the online right wing, sort of like YouTube culture about intersectionality, social justice warriors, and he even referred to himself as a classical liberal. The other thing that's really frightening is his website shows that he defends men who are accused of sexual assault, and he goes as far to say that the system is rigged against men in these cases. He's an MRI. He's definitely an MRI because he also retweeted people like Paul Joseph Watson from InfoWars. Oh, no. So this is the the quality of people that are now elected to the Law Society of Ontario. (laughs) Yeah, MRAs for me just get under my skin. They had that documentary, what was it called? The Red Pill, I think it was. Yeah. Unfortunately, I watched it. Why? Don't know why I would do that to myself. But I mean, I don't know why you listen to Ezra's show every week, but you do. Hey, you know, you know, I've listened to, I've watched that documentary. (laughs) Of course I did. (laughs) (laughs) Completely frightening to me. So cringe. Just so cringe. Like, I felt like my heart was twisting while watching it. Yeah, I don't know if he was involved in the Jean Gomeshi case, but he's written blog posts defending Jean Gomeshi as well. Oh, no, no, no. I know some people personally, or like I worked with a co-worker that has met him and could vouch for how much of a piece of shit he is. So He frames this whole... Th- the thing is, I feel like all the times when he's getting Ezra's getting into an issue like this, they beat around the bush and never sort of state what exactly is going on here. So he keeps talking about how, like Ezra sets up Goldstein as this like slate, beat these left-wing lawyers and form this uh, thing. And then 
got rid of this statement of principles and that's such a good thing. And and Goldstein gets on there to say, this statement of principles is going to force compelled speech on people and it's against freedom of speech. Okay. However, the thing that's annoying to me is that being a lawyer comes with responsibilities and you can be disbarred for not, say, taking an oath or for saying things that are not allowed as regulated by the Law Society of Ontario. <laughs> if you're forced to give a statement regarding the principles of equity and diversity, that's not really compelling speech. So it's like, if you want to be a lawyer, you have to do some things. And if you don't want to do those things, then don't be a lawyer. No, I agree. Yeah, 100%. It's also like they have like a duty to like not cause harm to their to their clientele, right? And if, I don't know. It's just, it's interesting how it's like right-leaning people and professions try to twist twist the law or use it in a way that like does the exact opposite of what their occupation is supposed to be doing. So what this sort of like comes from is back in 2016, the Law Society of Ontario sort of released this diversity and equity committee report. And they wanted to like encourage people to say within their law firms have better hiring practices that are more diverse and and you you can understand why you want legal practices to be diverse because Canadians aren't just white old male yeah or a range of people and one of the other steps that they had in this report was to recommend the implementation of a statement of principle and what this is is that I guess annually it, it's a bit confusing to me as a non-lawyer I, I sort of talked to someone I know who is a lawyer to sort of flesh this out but I guess like when you're filing some some things to the law society of ontario as like an annual report you just have to sort of like state like how you've encouraged diversity and like other stuff is what they kind of wanted but they took this as somehow compelling speech and then on top of this so when it came down to a vote finally to initiate this thing the thing failed so they're not going to do the statement of principles but then somebody put forward also a motion making it voluntary so that if this was about compelled speech, a voluntary thing shouldn't be at issue. But they voted that down as well, which tells me that this had absolutely nothing to do with being compelled or not. It had everything to do with being forced, talking about diversity and equity. Like, that's the issue that these right-wing assholes were upset about. No, of course. So in the end, what they did vote on, and I think what's being put into place, is now they have to, like, check a box on a form saying that they they care about diversity and equity. <laughs> Just like not really doing anything to handle the issue, though. Like that's not really creating diversity and equity in an organization. Nope, it certainly isn't. Which is the sad part about all of this is like they're not they're not actually taking steps to be more inclusive in in these organizations or in I don't know. Like it's just so silly. And then people try to like fight back on this. And I'm like, it doesn't. It's not even effective. Who gives a shit? I mean, thankfully, those people are outnumbered on the board or whatever. I think 22 are the the slate of right-wing people, and the rest of the board is something like 30, 35 other people. So it's not like the right-wing people have necessarily taken over the thing. But it, it's just an interesting, interesting, weird thing to then have this guest on as well. And of course, Ezra, with any new guest, is like, why don't you be a more frequent contributor and come on all the time? So... It's like I'm sitting recycling the same five people over and over again every week. So I need some more guests. So now we're going to talk. So on, on the 11th, there was no show. And that's because on the 12th, Ezra was in the UK 
to be with his old pal, Tommy Robinson. Oh my gosh. And Robinson is in court for the case we've already discussed, where he accused a Syrian boy of assaulting white schoolgirls. And that boy is now suing Robinson for libel. And again, there's been no evidence provided suggesting that Tommy is innocent. And even in this episode, he keeps going on and on and on about how he has witnesses, but he can't bring them up because he doesn't trust the court to protect them. And then they argue basically that that the lawsuit is actually uh, being helped by terrorist supporting lawyers who just want to drain Tommy of uh, his money. You know, Tommy doesn't have to get involved in these things like at all. It's just, it's so silly. Like these people make these claims, like it's like they're draining him of his money, but it's like, you didn't have to accuse people of anything. You started your own fucking problem. And do you want to believe that he started a new problem? Yes, I definitely believe that already. On March 2nd, uh, he was arrested again. He was arrested for assault. And he's out again, but he's facing assault charges. And they play a video of Tommy holding a brown person against the wall aggressively and accusing the man of groping his daughter's bum. There's no video evidence of Tommy, of the, of the individual that Tommy's assaulting, actually groping his daughter's bum. You just hear him yelling at the guy as he's pinned up against the wall and accusing him of it. Maybe this person did grope Tommy's daughter's bum i do not know but tommy also has a reputation for harassing stalking accusing libeling brown people i mean i can see that happening like pedophiles and stuff like that exist but how often does just a random man go up and squeeze a little girl's bum in front of her parents oh how old's his daughter want to guess like not a, not a teen yet I don't know, because like, just from my own experiences growing up, I've had grown ass men do that to me. Fair enough. And thank you for destroying humanity once again. <laughs> or destroying my faith in humanity. Oh, I've had it friends too, even when I was little, like 10. Like even like walking on the road at my parents' house, like walking to a convenience store or you'd have like grown ass men like cat call you, even though you're a 10 year old. Uh. Men are gross. It's gross. There's a lot of stories that could go on where this doesn't... It's it's like a common theme that I think a lot of women go through. In fact, I've even heard... Like, I have, like, a couple of, like, feminist groups on uh, Facebook just that I'm a part of. And, you know, people talk about women's issues, whatever. I've been in all these groups forever. And I remember there was, like, a thread, and it was just about women's experiences with being catcalled. And young girls talking about how they, they didn't feel attractive if they weren't catcalled. And some of these girls were like 12, 13 years old. Oh, yikes. Yeah, no, it's very common. It's a, it's a big, it's a huge issue that women have to deal with. So men, stop being creepy, please. We will move on though. I mean, I don't, uh, there's nothing to report there. It's just, they ended up talking about that on the show, about Tommy and the allegations and the assault charges. And they play that clip, but... Again, hearing Tommy explain his side of the situation is just hearing Tommy explain his side of the situation. I'm sure once the court case gets going, a lot more is going to come out. So March 13th, this is the last day. This was Friday the 13th. Tons of fun. Ezra doesn't bring that up. I'm surprised. The first half of the show is actually him talking about a change to Manitoba's human rights 
commissions. He begins by saying a whole lot of just same bullshit that is in his book in uh, that we're covering in our other series, the Shakedown book. And I'll I'll flag here that we already recorded a new episode on that. I've been delayed on a while for that for various reasons, but I've had some more time, and so I recorded a segment of that, and hopefully it should be out this weekend. And we're so that'll be chapter three, part one, and then I'm going to be recording soon again, uh, chapter three, part two, and we'll have that out for you. Uh, very shortly. But if you want to find out more about what Ezra thinks about the human rights commissions, you can just go listen to our shakedown uh, segment. So I don't have to really go over anything he says here. Mm -hmm. But then Ezra interviews good old Andrew Lawton, and they spend a lot of time talking about how they just aren't allowed to say that it's a Chinese or a Wuhan virus. Because the leftists... They just accuse us of being racist and they're so mean. Horrible. And they blame it on Chinese propaganda. They said the reason why we can't is because the Chinese have such a large influence that they've just convinced the world not to do this. It's a conspiracy. But this is my favorite part. So Ezra goes, it's not racist to call it the Chinese virus because... There's tons of places or tons of diseases that have been named after the places they've originated from. Just like the Spanish flu or the German measles or Legionnaire's disease. Mm -hmm. So let's go through all three of these examples. Ignoring that the Spanish flu was in 1918 and that maybe our standards on race and xenophobia have improved since then. The Spanish flu did not originate in Spain. Historical consensus actually says that it originated from the state of Kansas in America. Since the flu was spreading during World War I, a lot of papers on all sides refused to report on it for fear of harming morale on the front. Spain was one of the few countries where reporters were actually allowed to publish on it, leading to the mistaken perception that Spain was the hardest hit by the virus, hence the nickname Spanish flu. We might as well call us the Italian flu then. Well, either that or the South Korean or Iranian. Those are the three other states that have made yeah, most of but even then, like, it's weird because we we have had, so for those who don't know, the Spanish flu was an H1N1 variant, and we've had related outbreaks of that virus today, but we've never named them after the country's origin. We've just called them swine flus. Ezra, so the other one was, what was it? The German measles. Mm -hmm. However, German measles is just what we call rubella, and we have a vaccine for that. It's still around. There are several theories as to the etymology of the word or, or the phrasing German measles that have actually nothing to do with where it originated. One theory is that in the early 1800s, German doctors thought it was a different disease and thus called it something else other than rubella, such as the German measles. Another one is that three doctors that discovered rubella were all German, so they called it the German measles. And even another theory is that it was originally called germane measles, meaning a disease that is like measles, but not really measles. And then it morphed over time from being called the germane measles to German measles. Rubella itself goes all the way back to the 1700s for when it was first written about, but nobody knows what the origin point is. Legionnaire's disease is even sillier because it's named that because it was originally identified during an outbreak at an American Legion convention in Philadelphia in 1976, but it's caused by bacteria found all over the world in freshwater and thus has no origin point. It's basically just all over the world. So all the examples, 
that Ezra gives for why, oh, it's totally normal and obvious to call a disease from where it originates. All of them have nothing to do with where these diseases originate. It's not even that. It's just like even the names, as you're saying, don't really make sense to why they're called that. And being adamant that you call it a Chinese disease when no medical authority is currently calling it that is being a fucking racist. Especially coming, like, again, you put things in context. Ezra has been fear-mongering about the Chinese since we started this fucking show. <laughs> What's the name again? Com- oh, the Chicoms? Chicoms, yeah. I still haven't heard Ezra say that. That is a, an Alex Jones idiom. The Chicoms. For the sake of closure, Ezra ends this segment talking to Andrew Lawton about this by bringing up that this this virus was created in a bio lab, possibly connected to Canada at our Winnipeg lab, and it's all some bio-warfare thing. And Ezra tries to present himself a lot more rational than he is, but he really buys into a lot of conspiracy theories. Especially, I feel, when it fits a purpose for him, like going after the Chinese. Like, he really hates the Chinese, so if it makes the Chinese look bad, he's going to adopt that conspiracy theory. Mm-hmm. They then enter, uh, end the interview segment by just talking more about the CPC leadership race. And I think they both land on the idea that Aaron O'Toole is possibly going to be the victor of it. But uh, I don't really care what they have to say about it. So that's it. The people at home need some, some good news, Caitlin. Give them some good news. Make them leave the show happy. I guess one thing, well, there's a couple of things. So one thing that recently kind of got me excited was that the NDP's motion for Pharmacare for All had passed on a unanimous consent um, last week. And I think this is during the first reading of this bill. And it's basically like the first step towards creating a path towards public universal pharmacare system which I'm really excited for because that means, you know, no more paying for prescriptions, no more hoping that your employer is going to help pay for your your drug plan. And I think it will help a lot of people having this set up. And I mean, like I've been going through some medical issues last six months and I've been constantly on and off prescriptions and these costs have been adding up and some of my my medication I have to take was like well over a hundred dollars, which to me is just insane. So I'm I'm excited that this is getting pushed forward, and you know there's some people who are going to be on ongoing medication for the rest of their life that pay thousands of dollars each month, and this is really going to help them. So that's something that's really really exciting and something I'm really looking forward to. Awesome, and I did say like when the election was uh, done, and it was going to be a minority government that we were actually very hopeful about that, that it was one of the better results that could come out of the election, especially because at the end, the liberal government, or at least during the campaign, the liberals started capitulating to the pharmacare idea, even though initially they were like pushing back against it. And now that that the NDP hold a bit of the balance of power, likely this is going to go through. And that's good because we really need it. So if you enjoy what you've heard so far, please give us a few bucks over on patreon.com slash imperial news. If you want to stay informed about what we're doing, you can also find us on Twitter at imperial news with a Z. We have an Instagram account. Uh, we have an Instagram account. <laughs> news Imperial. Right. 
We have a private Facebook group called Imperial News. We also have a Discord set up. You can find the link on our Twitter. And just a reminder, I will be gaming on that occasionally. So if you join our Discord, you can hop in the chat and play some games. And it'll be totally awesome and fun. What a good way to get by and live through this pandemic. Lastly, you can email us any questions at imperial.fake.news at gmail.com. Special thanks to my friend Mason Tickle for the transition beats. You can find his work at striadam.bandcamp.com. Thank you for listening and go wash your hands and stay home and stay safe. Albumbia, Albumbia, how lovely are your wheat fields.